Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, which is, of course, a fantasy football podcast. It is Tuesday. July 27th, and I am Scott Pianowski, your host. We have a great guest today. The goal is to get smart people, bring them on the show, have them say smart things and uh, profit. We're going to do that today with Scott Barrett, who is the director of Dank Stats over at Fantasy Points. And, and man, what an all-star team they got over there. They got John Hansen over there. We've had uh, def- different people from their shop. Uh, we had Joe Dolan on a few months ago. Graham Barfield is great. I'm not going to mention everybody who works with Scott Barrett, but a lot of smart people there. Scott's certainly one of them. So let's tap his brain, get some fantasy football goodness. Hello, Mr. Barrett. Hey, Scott. What's going on? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Let's jump into some hot news, first of all, some of the events of the last maybe 72 hours or so, and then we'll start talking strategy and some of the the great angles that you have that can make us better fantasy players and maybe get us out of our comfort zone in some spots. Uh, the Saints announced that Michael Thomas will not be ready for the start of the season. He's had ankle surgery recently. I'm in the draft right now. I'm in the Rasball draft. He still went in the third round even after this news. To me, that's crazy. I, he's somebody I would really need a nice discount on to draft at this point, and I, I just don't expect to see it. I usually run away from this type of player. What do you make of the Thomas news and his status, his fantasy stock, and maybe even the Saints as an over, overview. New quarterback, maybe new quarterbacks this year. I mean, they're kind of in a state of flux. What do you make of this big situation? This is great to be able to talk about this specifically with you. Um, so he, he's at a minimum of five games, a, a minimum. They have the week six by, you know, you talk to Dr. David Chow, some of the other prominent injury experts. They make it seem like he could be out the entire first half of the season and then it's not a guarantee he's 100% you know maybe even two-thirds of the way through the season this is a and the decision to get surgery Schefter reported in February he was he was set to get it uh, but to do it in June is is really confusing really surprising I was in a draft two days ago FFPC league I took him in round eight and that's a league where it's very top-heavy I think first place pays out something like 50 times what fifth place pays out. And there's a, the bonus rounds for the playoffs where it's tournament style. But I said, I really wanted to talk to you about this. I mean, we could talk about some other things. They have no other 
weapons really in terms of pass catchers outside of Alvin Kamara, who, by the way, last year averaged 30.8 fantasy points per game without Thomas, 18.7 with him. But just in terms of where to rank Thomas, that's something I'm struggling with. And I wanted to talk to you about this because you really red-pilled me on avoiding the so-called injury discounts, guys who are entering a season with an injury. I, I was always attracted to that upside, get them at the discount. You know, the last month of the season matters so much more than the first month of the season. But so often we see these guys, oh, they're going to be back week six. And it's like, nope, surprise, AJ Green a few years ago. They're not going to be back at all. They're not going to be back till week 14. And then they're a decoy for two weeks. And then the one game they play, they're at 60% of the snaps. So I, I don't know where to rank him. You know, round eight in that format felt about right. He was sandwiched in between Devonta Smith, Mike Williams, Henry Ruggs. I like Williams, but you know, certainly prefer him over Henry Ruggs. Uh, so what are your thoughts? For one thing, I, I can sign off on why you took him in the FFBC format. And obviously kind of the first thing we need to do with any fantasy league that we're in is understand what the objective is, what the style of league is. If you're in a league where the structure is top heavy, you want to embrace variants. You want to give yourself a chance to be wildly lucky with things. So if you're in something like that FFPC contest, you're in the Scott Fishbowl, your odds of winning are so low that you want to embrace a real, a real strategy gives you upside. Really, we're going to talk about upside later in the show for sure. But uh, the variance is your friend. You want to embrace as much variance as possible. In a more standard league, I, I don't think that's how I would play it. And the reason why I've always said fade injury optimism is because I think fantasy players as a whole, we want to be optimistic in nature. We want to feel good about our players. Michael Thomas has been the number one receiver before. He's had record-breaking seasons. He's a lot of black ink on his pro football reference page. And it's no fun to say, oh, he's going to regress. Oh, he's not going to be that good. Oh, he's going to be a disappointing pick. We want to feel good about the best players in the NFL. We want to feel good about the players we draft. So when somebody is hurt and you hear an injury table of four to six weeks on somebody say, it's only human nature to want to believe they'll be back in four weeks. Maybe this player is superhuman. He'll be back in three weeks. And the players that we've learned is often the worst people to listen to with their injury uh, diagnosis is they've been superheroes their whole life. Maybe they're marking their territory. They don't want to lose their job, whatever it is. So when I look at a situation like Thomas, thinking more of a standard league, you're thinking you're trying to be 11 other people in your room. I just always imagine that somebody will be more optimistic than I will be. Somebody will want to see that things are going to break well for Thomas. And when I when I factor in all the moving parts here, I don't know who the quarterback is. I think Sean Payton may be vain enough to play both quarterbacks, maybe in the same game. I think Hill's going to have a package no matter what, but I think Winston will probably get his share of snaps. I don't like the rest of this receiver room. There's really nothing that interests me there. Adam Troutman's kind of a maybe a late-round dart throw at tight end, but... I think this could be like an eight and nine, nine and eight, or very ordinary Saints team. And you made a great point when these guys come back a lot of times too. There's those gap weeks where we don't know are they on a snap count, are they a decoy, are they going to have a three target game? Sometimes you need to see the prove it week before you even feel comfortable starting them. So that's like another week or two we have to factor in sometimes. Add it all up. I never say never. If I went to a draft and Thomas just slipped to some unbelievably late spot, yeah, sure. At some point you want to do it. And again, in something like the FFPC, maybe you just turn into the upside and say, oh, I'm just looking for a chance to get lucky. It's hard to win these leagues anyway. But generally speaking, I just expect somebody to be more optimistic than I will be in most rooms. And so a player like this, I almost never draft. You brought up the 
what is Sean Payton going to do about the quarterback? And you have to think, so the odds before this injury, it was about 70-30 in Jameis Winston's favor. I was talking to Greg Cassell, Adam Kaplan, who worked with us over at Fantasy Points, and they both said they expect Hill to win the job outright. So like that seems like a great bet at those odds. At the very least, Greg was talking about how this allows Sean Payton to do more with the offense. And he looked like a real effective quarterback last year. So you have to think they have horrible receiver talent without Thomas. Far and away, their best receiver is Kamara. He said, uh, you know, the tight end's a little intriguing. I agree. A lot of my tape guys really like him. If you have, uh, you know, not great receiver talent, doesn't that make more sense to play the hyper-mobile Konami code quarterback? And you have to think this is... Uh, at least a small feather in, in Taysom's cap. Right. I mean, you know, if, if he's got the check mark from Greg Cosell, NFL Films Guru, if he's got the check mark from Adam Kaplan, who's as plugged in as anybody in the league right now, maybe Taysom Hill is the screaming late round, the, the, the screaming value in this offense. We saw, you know, the Konami code, you know, we've had Rich Rebar on this program before. It's such an advantage when a quarterback can get those cheap yards on the ground. And he got a lot of goal line work too. It wasn't just running the ball when plays broke down. They were using design runs for him at the goal line to get cheap touchdowns. So is it, maybe that's the takeaway here. Maybe Taysom Hill is the guy to get in this offense. This is a interesting year where I, I've always, you know, echoed JJ Zacharisa and I, you know, I, you want to go late round quarterback, but this year, I mean, the top five guys are all Konami code quarterbacks. They're all so sexy. They all feel, you know, locks to finish top six. But, I mean, this year, late-round QB is still so enticing. I love Jalen Hurts. I love Trey Lance. I love Deshaun Watson at round 18 in FFPC. And then I love grabbing both Winston and Hill because they go undrafted in most leagues. So you can really just pair up both. And, you know, with Winston, we've seen him have success. He ranked as a QB1 in fantasy points per start each of his last two years as a starter. And then Hill, like you said, the Konami code potential last year, he averaged 21.6 fantasy points per start, 0.65 fantasy points for drop back. Last year was sort of an outlier year, but in 2019, both those numbers would have ranked behind only Lamar Jackson. And then like Lamar Jackson, you know, he wasn't as successful his rookie season, his sophomore season. He had an offense closely tailored to his skill set. You think maybe that was the case last year with Drew Brees going down. It, it, they, they tailor it to his skill set. It's his first offseason actually training and practicing exclusively at quarterback. So a lot of high upside guys to target, I think, in the later rounds of quarterback. And that's a position where you want to chase upside because you know you have a guaranteed floor of about QB7, QB8 levels of production just on streaming alone, let it, not even factoring, grabbing a, a Justin Herbert or a Ryan Tannehill who went undrafted and holding them. Lot, lots to like. And, you know, Winston may be a little bit less, especially with Thomas being out, but uh, Hill's exciting to me. You mentioned Trey Lance. Let's unpack what's going on in San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan has made it clear that for now, anyway, Jimmy Garoppolo is the starter. Lance hasn't signed yet, which I think the Niners are a little bit peeved about that. How long do you think Garoppolo starts? Do you think he's is this just blowing smoke? They say Lance is going to get reps with with the starters at some point this summer, so maybe he just blows everybody away with his athleticism. But he's somebody who came to the league at a young age, hardly has played in the last year or so. I mean, you have to go back to 2019 for any meaningful playing sample. I think Lance has a very bright future, and obviously we love Kyle Shanahan. We love the skill talent here. And Matt Harmon was saying recently on one of our podcasts that he thinks the manager who figures out the Niners might be in the catbird seat to win his league. 
I'm concerned that there, this may be a much better real-life offense than fantasy offense. I think it might be difficult to project usage week to week, whether it be the backfield, whether it be their stable of really good pass catchers. Why George Kittle never had more than five touchdowns in a season? So as, as much as I see a lot of shiny, fun toys on this Niners offense, they make me a little bit nervous. And I'm, I'm kind of sick of Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he's a good player. He's not a great player. I think he's always been miscast as a superstar in the league when he really isn't that. What did you make of this news? Do you think there's anything to it? And just give me a view of how you see the 49ers as a fantasy commodity right now. Yeah, so Bavada puts it at 25% that Lance starts week one, and that's another bet I'd like to make. So Shanahan said he's our starter right now. That's what he said when he went on Rich Eisen a few months ago. He's our starter right now. But I have to think he's quietly rooting for Trey Lance. And one of the things I do every offseason is I watch – maybe like 70 hours worth of post-draft press conferences. And so watching that press conference, it was clear to me, Shannon was quietly rooting. He was like, yeah, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy wants to be here. I want to bring this kid along. But I mean, if it turns into a competition, I'd be, I'd be real excited about that. If he showed he was ready for it and stuff, but we know where Jimmy's at. That's a, that's a direct quote. So it seems like he's quietly rooting for a competition. And, and Lance to me, reminds me a lot of sophomore year Patrick Mahomes where you know Alex Smith smashed and then the jettison him and Mahomes is our guy lots of hype coming out in the offseason and this is an amazing offense to be in over the past three seasons Jimmy Garoppolo ranks behind only Watson and Mahomes and yards for pass attempt Nick Mullins ranks ahead of Russell Wilson you have Brandon Ayuk, one of the greatest yards after the catch receivers in college football history. Debo Samuel leads all wide receivers since entering the league. George Kittle leads all tight ends since entering the league. So you have this situation where like Lance is so well set up. I could see him averaging like a 7.8 yards per attempt average on like a 4.3 ADOT. You just have these monsters who can create so much yards on their own. It doesn't really ask him to do a lot. And then factor in Lance also has that Konami code upside. He averaged 77 rushing yards per game, 13.3 rushing fantasy points per game throughout his college career. That ranks in recent seasons behind only Lamar and Jalen Hurts. It ranks above Kyler Murray. It ranks above Dak Prescott. And so that's just all super exciting, like perfect, perfect landing spot. And like I said, Kansas City jettisoned Alex Smith after a monster season. I mean, look at what San Francisco gave to acquire this guy. And he has a quarterback coach saying, despite not playing last year, this is the most uh, year one, week one, NFL ready quarterback in this class. And just a lot of upside there, a lot of excitement. By the way, they have the overall second softest fantasy quarterback schedule, the softest playoff schedule. There's just you can make a compelling case. And what gets trickier is, okay, the receivers eating into each other's production, the running backs maybe eating into each other's production. I think that's fair. Uh, although I do think Mostert and Sermon are sort of like the discount Chubb hunt uh, in best ball drafts right now. I was going to say something else too, but yeah, yeah, just just really like Lance specifically. And you could grab Jimmy Garoppolo too, because if Lance is riding the bench, you have to imagine Garoppolo's on fire. He's performing really well. But yeah, Lance is a big target for me, and I, I do like this San Francisco team a lot. I think they finish way above expectations. 
Yeah, generally, I'm not somebody who looks ahead to playoff schedules, but I saw Adam Leviton of Establish the Run tweet what their playoff schedule was, and it was just <laughs> the Bengals, the Falcons, the Titans, just all these defenses that are just going to be turnstiles, I think. And so I certainly was getting interested in that. Just to, to put a, a cap on the Niners real briefly, when you look at the running backs and receivers, and even throw Kittle in there if you want, is there one player you imagine you'll be overweight on? One guy who serves as a target for you? Is it more driven by the market? Is just give me an idea of who you think might be on a lot of your rosters from this offense? Yeah, well, it's it's, it's definitely Lance. And despite my fondness for the top five quarterbacks, I, I am typically going late round quarterback this year. But in best ball, I love Raheem Mustard. So I'm bell cower bust and start sit leagues. You know, I'm drafting two or three running backs by the end of round three, then I'm sort of neglecting the position from there on. But in best ball, I prefer the opposite approach. That's when I go zero RB or modified zero RB because you can string together, you know, a round six and a round nine running back, just grab their boom games and they can put up, you know, low end RB1 numbers combined. And Mostert, I, he just needs to stay healthy, which granted is a big concern with him. And it's a point in favor of Trey Sermon, maybe, who I also have some exposure to. But just we've seen massive boom games from San Francisco's running backs over the past two seasons. Jeff Wilson, with random league winner last year. But yeah, Mustard, he ranked second best all time in career yards per carry average between Marion Motley, a Hall of Famer, and Bo Jackson. Two seasons ago, uh, he averaged 20.0 fantasy points per game over his final eight games, including the postseason. And then last year before his his first of two IR designations, he averaged 22.7 fantasy points per four quarters. Just at RB32 by ADP is just like one of the best best ball picks you can make so i don't want to go too long on this but sounds like they've made up or at least uh, as much as they need to make up and we're gonna have aaron Rodgers playing football for the packers this year just give me a sense of uh, how you feel about Rodgers, the packers aaron jones Devontae adams just just give me a very brief overview of your view of the pack yeah i mean i i actually don't even have much to say I, i'm just expecting something like what we saw last year a slight step down just because that was one of the most efficient seasons of all time by points per drive. It might've been the most efficient season of all time. Yeah. I mean, Devonte Adams, he's your, he's your wide receiver one. Congrats to those of you who got him in round two or round three, Aaron Jones. He is who he, he's been, you know, he, not a bell cow surprisingly, but um, should see a little more work without Jamal Williams and should be a lock for about mid range RB one production and, and Robert Tunyon's, been a guy I've targeted all offseason. He was insanely hyper-efficient last year. He had like four more touchdowns than incompletions. It was the most efficient season ever by fantasy points per target for a tight end. And uh, the coach has come out and said he's dramatically improved even this offseason, and we, we want to get him the ball more. He's a converted wide receiver. So you have to wonder if he has that Darren Waller, Logan Thomas-esque upside. And I, I, I think he might, especially at ADP. But We'll see where that rises to. Can you talk yourself into any other Packers receiver? Uh, Randall Cobb and best ball? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That's a tricky one. Let's talk about some of the strategy pieces that you've been doing uh, for fantasy points, both currently and, and in the past. You wrote a watershed story last year called Upside Wins Championships, which you've updated for 2021. And I have a pull quote from here that says, elite scores just matter more than anything else. But fantasy players get this wrong all the time as they chase 
the average projection or the most likely outcome. Explain what you meant by that. I, I remember where I was when I invented upside. No, just 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 kidding. Um, yeah, what happened was I played in 150 best ball leagues one year, and I dominated best ball. And then I sucked in all of my redraft start sit leagues. And what happened was I just chased ADP beaters. I chased safety, consistency, guaranteed points. When in a start sit league, you really want upside. I don't know how many players matter in a given season, but it's shockingly few. If you told me only five, only 15 players actually matter, that's probably true. It, people are like, oh, an RB2, an RB2 is a low end RB2 is worthless. A low end QB1 is worthless. Really, what wins leagues at the end of a year are the correct two or three power law players who just absolutely dominate like Christian McCaffrey's uh, 2019 season 60% of Christian McCaffrey teams made it to their championship like what an unfair advantage in just getting the 102 Lamar Jackson was right behind him at 55% Todd Gurley the year or two before and it's just really just the correct one or two guys matters so much more. Uh, one of my favorite stats in the article was, so taking 2019, you have McCaffrey and a league worst starter at every position, quarterback, RB1, RB2, wide receiver one, wide receiver two, kicker defense. And that team outscored and won more wins above replacement than a team that was middle of the pack or better than middle of the pack in every category, QB6 or QB5. RB, RB 10, RB 11, wide receiver 10, wide receiver 11, tight end five, and so on. And it's just really like, I mean, McCaffrey is the perfect example, but you could also argue, you know, Alvin Kamara, his rookie season, Juju Smith-Schuster, his rookie season, players like that who massively beat their ADP. So my argument was, and it's, it's tricky to define and it's tricky to identify pre-hindsight, but it's, it's really all about upside after about round six or round seven, just your, your major focus should be upside because you always have the floor of the waiver wire to fall back on, whether that means getting, you know, guaranteed 10.5 fantasy points per game from some crappy wide receiver or better yet getting, you know, a Chase Claypool who went undrafted, something along those lines. So really in drafts, especially Yahoo, you know, 12 team friends and family leagues uh, or ESPN 10 team leagues, definitely prioritize upside risk almost doesn't matter at all after round seven. But if you have a, a deeper league, you know, with 14 teams, super flex, three, three flex spot, you know, 10 bench, then upside matters significantly less because the waiver wire is, has, has less highly valuable uh, replacement players. But yeah, that's basically the crux of the article. Yeah, one of my favorite things to do when I set up leagues is to set up leagues that require so many starters that a depth team can become an attractive thing to build. But in most fantasy leagues, we don't start a lot of players. And a lot of common people, when they set up their leagues, they don't want they don't want to start 17 guys or 15 guys or super flex format. They want to start seven or eight guys or nine guys or something like that. And in that case, if you have two or three of those right answers, man. And, and this is why I think taking a running back, I, I always feel like, if we could, if we had somebody, a genie came down out of a bottle and said, "Look, I'll give you one truth about the fantasy season. I'll give you the highest score in any position. Just ask me. Rub the bottle, and I'll give it to you." I'll say, "Well, tell me who the running back is." 
And then I'll maneuver my world to get that player as many times as possible. And I, I'll take my chances that that will move the needle more than anything else. Have you found that in your study that if you have the number one running back, that just it's much more important than the number one tight end, the number one receiver. And I know Kelsey has some fans now because he's dominated that position for so many years in a row. Is it is the one hit at running back the most important thing you can find if you get it? Yeah, absolutely. Every single season, the highest scoring running back is going to be the most valuable player in fantasy. And the number two, number three, number four, and five are all probably going to rank top six or top seven. Uh, you can check out my article, uh, Bell Cower Bust, the Optimal Running Back Strategy. Again, this is specific to start set, specific to PPR. But far and away, running back is the most important, most valuable position in fantasy. That's where your league winners reside. I talk about this in Anatomy of a League Winner as well. And they're typically only found in rounds one, two, or three. The Sean Siegels of the world, who, by the way, is great, they're going to focus on win rate. But that doesn't appropriately factor in upside and league winning upside, power law players. And that's what happens with the running back position. Jeff Henderson, who created a stack called War, which is like value over replacement player on steroids. Um, He has an article on this coming out in the next day or two. It's really just the optimal approach in a start-sit league is getting at least two running backs in the first three rounds. You know, a big thing, what I love about that approach, and I I also feel this way about receivers, is if if you're running backs and your receivers or players, you know who to start every week, that you're you're not trying to guess, okay, is it the right week to start Kareem Hunt, is it the right week to start um, you know, a third receiver or something like that? I, I want as many automatic starts as I can at the position. And you mentioned your piece, Anatomy of a League Winner. This is a really great pull quote from that, I thought. So should you go out of your way to draft at least two running backs in the first three rounds? Is zero RB a suboptimal draft strategy? Again, talking for managed leagues. Yeah, probably. And, and I think as much as that's maybe not the sexy thing, you know, I, I think it's we all. A lot of us grew up just pounding running back, and, and you know, I remember one of the first drafts I did with Kaplan. He took three running backs the first three rounds, and people were like, "Wow, you're not even going to start that next guy." But he's like, "Oh no, I, I thought it was the right thing to do." I think you're you're totally onto it. That I mean, Siegel hit lightning in a bottle. He's a very smart guy, and the time he did it, I saw why it worked. But as as much as it's kind of an old school thing, I, I think just coming out of your draft with two running backs in the first three rounds is probably the right thing to do. Yeah, the two best years, interestingly, uh, for zero RB, one was 2015, where like Devonta Freeman was like the only valuable running back. And that that was it. So that was a great year for zero RB. And the second worst, uh, or second best zero RB season over the past, you know, 20 years, 10 years, 15 years was last year, actually, it was a brutal year for, for running backs. And and still, you know, at the end of the day, the, the top three, top four running backs were far and away the most valuable players in fantasy with Barkley out, with McCaffrey out, all that. But you talk about you want guaranteed starters every week, and I, I'm the exact same way. So so with running back specifically, I target bell cows. And I have this arbitrary definition for a bell cow. It's basically, you know, high percentage of snaps, targets, and carries involved in both the running and passing game. So Derrick Henry technically isn't a bell cow because he's a non-factor in the passing game. Nick Chubb wouldn't be. Jonathan Taylor, I think he's going to be capped at like 65% of the backfield usage. So I'm going to be way lower than consensus on those guys. And they could certainly kill me. They, they hurt me last year. But what goes into that is they're so game script dependent. So just looking at Derrick Henry. So last year, Tennessee won 11 games. That was 2.5 more than their Vegas win total. Vegas is projecting nine wins this year. 
And so if they win exactly nine games, based on his historical 11.6 more fantasy points per game and wins than losses, he's basically unstartable when Tennessee loses 10.5 fantasy points per game over the last three seasons. So if Vegas is right on that nine win total, maybe it's this is an older article, so maybe it's it's raised since the Julio Jones trade. But he should drop from 20.9 to 16.6 fantasy points per game. And then the Tariq Cohens of the world are like basically worthless. You know, they're useless in victories because, you know, David Montgomery is getting all that work as the workhorse. And then if it's a massive blowout, okay, they might score 15.6 fantasy points per game. But it's difficult to predict that. And just highly volatile week to week. J.D. McKissick last year, Naheem Hines, they all averaged like six fantasy points per game in their uh, less in their top five most started weeks. Like you were just never getting that right. They're great for best ball, but in a start sit league, they killed you. They legitimately killed you. just never started them in the right weeks. So if we're not drafting guys like Cohen or, or James White or Naheem Hines, what, what type of running backs are you looking for in the middle rounds? What do your lottery ticket running backs look like? I, again, I tend to avoid those quote unquote dead zone running backs, just bell cow running backs typically only uh, live in rounds one, two, and maybe three. So, so I, I try and get two or three running backs by the end of round three, but some of the later round guys I'm interested in are, I wrote up and, and again, it's the argument is a lot shakier than the top three round guys, but round four beyond, I wrote up Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, Miles Gaskin, Mike Davis, Michael Carter, who, by the way, I never somehow, – somehow he's he might be the best value at the position, which I, I never saw coming. Trey Sermon, Raheem Mustard, but those are, are probably committee guys, more best ball oriented. And then some of the handcuffs, like Latavius Murray, if Alvin Kamara goes down, I think he has top five upside. He make a similar case for A.J. Dillon, Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison. But I don't really have a ton of exposure to those guys because, again, you know, I, my running backs, I typically get them round one, two – and or three. I'm curious what you're doing at the top of the running back board. Say McCaffrey and Cook were gone. You had the third pick or the fourth pick, fifth pick. Who are the running backs you're taking in that pocket? Uh, yeah, so I have Alvin Kamara three. I, again, I cited that stat before. Uh, 30.8 fantasy points per game with Thomas out last year. He's just a monster. He's the most efficient running back of all time. He still has a lot more seasons left, but at this point in his career, he is the most efficient running back of all time. He has seasons ranking first, second, and I think 10th in fantasy point per touch of like 3000 qualifiers. He's just a monster. The one concern is quarterback play and that's more volume than efficiency. You know, hyper mobile quarterbacks don't tend to target running back. So Taysom Hill's a concern. Jameis Winston only in his rookie season did he ever target running backs at above a league average rate. That's the concern, but I mean, I, I just think Sean Payton's going to get the ball to his his best player. Then I have Zeke Elliott. Zeke Elliott four, I'm just expecting a massive, massive regression. And there's a lot of points that, that go into it where I, I feel really good about that, although that's higher than ADP. And then uh, five, I have uh, Saquon, where the only concern with him is, is injury, where – Otherwise, he's the closest thing we have to McCaffrey. But coming back from the ACL, there's two concerns. I talked to Dr. David Chow um, two years ago, I guess a, a year following Dalvin Cook's ACL injury. And he was like, yeah, I, I told people to avoid Dalvin like the plague his first year back because coming back from the ACL injury, unless you're Adrian Peterson, 
there's going to be a decline in efficiency, and there's a major risk in terms of compensatory injuries. But the year following, he should be good. And that's exactly what we saw. Cook missed a bunch of time, wasn't productive. The next year, he absolutely smashed. Saquon probably going to miss week one, week two, probably eased into playing time week three, four. Again, last month of the season matters so much more than the first month. But I mean, the, the compensatory injuries, the decline in efficiency, I, I think that's a legitimate concern. But the upside, I mean, closest thing to McCaffrey. I'm glad you mentioned Zeke too. I, I think he's somebody who I had misranked maybe a month or two ago and I've reevaluated. For one thing, they're going to play to the contract. We, we all know Tony Pollard's a good football player and, and maybe there isn't a huge difference between Zeke and Pollard, but the point is the Cowboys have given all the money to Zeke and they are going to hang their hat on him. And in a league where the bell cow is kind of a vanishing breed, I don't, I don't think there's any problem with Elliott's workload. And, and then he's supported. I think this is a disconnect sometimes with fantasy players where you want your other people on your offense to be good. It's good for Zeke if the passing game is good. You want them to be a high-octane offense that scores 30 points or more as many times as possible and then gives him that positive game script where he can run out games at the end and get those cheap carries against that worn-out defense. I think Zeke is somebody I have misranked. I'm not even sure where I have him right now off the top of my head, but I'm going to percolate him back down into the above the fold in the first round. I think he's somebody we can target. Uh, you've been doing a series on fantasy points called Underrated uh, Upside. And uh, Raheem Mostert was one of the guys you talked about in your running back segment. The photo uh, shot in the receiver article was Adam Thielen. I think he's going to be one of my most rostered players this year, although I'm going to ruin some of it by talking about him this summer. Uh, talk about what you see from Thielen and the Vikings this year. Yeah, I mean, he, he's both a safety and an upside play. His ADP just makes absolutely no sense. It, ADP wide receiver 21, I, I just – it makes – zero sense to me. So high margin of safety there. Over the last four seasons, he's finished 11th, 7th, 44th, and 11th in fantasy points per game. 2019 season looks bad, but it was just like a a total injury outlier. He was averaging 17.3 fantasy points for four quarters, would have ranked seventh best. That was before his injury. And then he came back. He was battling an injury. He left early. He was playing part-time. He was a decoy. So like I see a floor of like low-end wide receiver one, maybe at worst high-end wide receiver two. Plus now you have Justin Jefferson drawing the elite CB1s, leaving him in a more favorable matchup. Uh, You could talk touchdown regression, but even that, I don't know, Rudy's gone. And based on my stat expected touchdowns, he was, you know, at 10.0. So really, you know, I I don't see him finishing too far below that. You you hit a real um, kind of a a key point for me and something I I get frustrated by when people you can't just yell out regression and leave the room you can't say oh adam thielen's not going to score 14 touchdowns again well that's fine he's going to score seven eight nine eleven i mean he's going to score a lot of them and we look at this team they have such a narrow tree i mean unless you believe that you know they've uncovered something with dd westbrook that nobody else has kind of figured out and i know he has some history with some of the coaching staff so maybe westbrook eventually becomes a partial factor but this is a team that you know, butters and spread with Jefferson, with Thielen, with Dalvin Cook. And some people may also dock Thielen, you because know, he's kind of an older player. He's around 30 now. He's been around. He's a boring guy. We all know that Justin Jefferson is a stud here. Is the alpha, so what? It, it, it didn't matter to me if Jefferson has better numbers. I think we're, you're drafting Thielen, as you said. He has the floor. Of, I think he's a very safe play. And he has the upside to still be a receiver who can catch double-digit touchdowns. There aren't that many guys we can say that about. And as much as there's a certain randomness to touchdowns, 
they scheme him a lot of cheap scores. They scheme him a lot of looks inside the 10-yard line where the play is basically called Adam Thielen catches a touchdown. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, is he going to score 14 again? I don't think anybody would bank on that. But regression to what? I say the regression to like 8 to 10 touchdowns, in, assuming a full season. Narrow usage. He's a boring player. Nobody walks into their fantasy draft. I'm, I'm all gung-ho to get Minnesota's number two receiver and lock myself up with Kirk Cousins. That sounds really exciting. So you get a boring discount. I, I think he's going like a round too late. I, I think he's a guy, again, maybe the market will correct. And I, I think maybe in late August we'll say, oh, remember the days when we're getting Adam Thielen in the fourth and fifth round? Maybe that will go poof. But right now, I think this is a great drafting opportunity. Yeah, I mean, well said. I, I completely agree. Maybe you're getting him in round four or five, whatever it is. I'm not. He keeps going to pick right before me. I take like Amari Cooper, someone I like less than Thielen outright. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get that value. And then always the pick right before. But yeah, I mean, I want him to. There are circle your draft, circle your ranking, circle your ADP type players you want to get. And Thielen might be, you know, number one or close to it on my list right now. I don't want, I don't expect you to give away the whole story, but give us another player or two who are, you have circled on your clipboard right now. Elijah Moore, Jacoby Myers, and then maybe even uh, grab Aguilar as like, uh, in case I'm wrong about Myers, but those are three of my must own guys. Brandon Cooks have a ton of him in best ball. Logan Thomas. I, I keep ending up with a ton of Logan Thomas, but, but yeah, we, we can talk about all those guys. I just wish Thomas were a little bit younger. You know, the breakout age, the breakout coming so late in his career makes me concerned, but maybe he just didn't have a chance to play. There's so many talented guys in the NFL who just haven't had a chance to run snaps. Let's talk tight end strategy a little bit because we've been focusing so much on these bell cow backs. Does that mean you're probably not going to draft Kelsey? Is there a situation where you would draft a Kelsey or a Waller or a Kittle or what market of tight end you think you'll be shopping with? You mentioned Logan Thomas, who is probably, what, uh, tight end 7 to 11, something in that range. I do have an irrational love of this WFT. I, I believe Ryan Fitzpatrick is a really great quarterback. <laughs> not, maybe not a great quarterback in real life, but I think he's a great quarterback for Terry McLaurin. I think he's a great quarterback for Logan Thomas. I'm excited if Antonio Gibson's toe is okay. I think he's a chance to be a really exciting player. How are you playing the tight end market in 2021? Yeah, so I'm, I'm with you. I, I love Washington. Ryan Fitzpatrick's one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, yeah, I love arbitrary distinctions. So I have the bell cow versus workhorse versus scat back versus handcuff. Quarterbacks, it's the Konami codes and then the statues. And then with tight end, I, my arbitrary distinction is the quote-unquote oligarch tight end. And I've been calling them that because of the death of the middle class at the tight end position. There's just, you know, the top three guys, and then everyone else is the same in the lower class, you know, dirt poor, the peasants. And so I chase those, those bougier options, basically the wide receivers masquerading as a tight end, basically a wide receiver with the tight end designation. That was Kelsey, who is one of my most on players in best ball. I'm drafting him in round one. Again, I, I don't like running backs as much in bet, best ball, but by drafting Kelsey, I don't have to draft a third tight end. I, I could go to a different position. And Kelsey last year, in my big best ball article, I talk about how I think the tight end three, four, and five combined didn't score just in best ball, only taking their best weeks, didn't, didn't outscore Kelsey who had the bye week and, you know, just, just him alone. So a massive, massive value. But no, in a start set, not a lot of exposure to him. I like Waller again. He's going to be an oligarch. Pitts, not so much. I, I have him in a ton of dynasty leagues. Love him. But I, I just think he's being drafted at his ceiling. 
Like even if you just assume he's Jamar Chase with a tight end designation, he's still being drafted at least like perfectly in line with his projection. So, so I look at guys with oligarch potential, and I think that's Logan Thomas. You talk about, well, he's old and it was a late breakout fair, but he's also a converted quarterback. And so you got to give him and, – and Waller, you know, he's old. It took him time to break out. And his – Logan Thomas, to me, looks a lot like 2020 Darren Waller, where he did nothing and then he broke out. Uh, something unique to the oligarch tight ends, Kelsey rarely ever blocks – uh, he's in the slot on like 60% of his routes. So that gives him a massive advantage over someone like George Kittle, who one of the best tight ends of all time in his prime, I think, especially factor in a blocker, but because he's blocking, he's not scoring fantasy points. He's not running routes. Whereas Logan Thomas last year, uh, 91% route share that led all tight ends, 609 routes that led all tight ends like TJ Hawkinson, who people are falling over themselves to draft. And, you know, I, I get it. There's not a lot of receivers there, but he had a 65% route share. He ran 150 fewer routes. That's just such a disadvantage, you know? So, so Logan Thomas, uh, he's exciting to me. There's been some hype from uh, the tight ends coach in Washington called him already a top five tight end. That, that again, it reminds me of Darren Waller in 2019, John Gruden told us, he was like, the sky is the limit. He's going to break out. He's going to be featured. Uh, And then you can make arguments for Tyler Higby. There's the, oh, you know, look at the splits with and without Gerald Everett. And that's, that's compelling to a degree. Tight end premium FFPC leagues, Donald Parham's going undrafted. You know, look at what he did in college. Look at what he did in the XFL. Six foot eight, 240 pounds of four, six, eight, 40, like freaking nature should not be going undrafted in a tournament style tight end premium league, like uh, the main event and the football guys players championship. But really, you know, if I have a lot of Logan Thomas. I think I like him more than Goddard and Fant, but I like those guys. I like those guys a lot. Robert Tunyon, we just talked about. And then, and then it gets really murky after that. You know, Thomas reminds me a little bit of Zach Ertz, where a great understanding of space. I love the fact that he was a former quarterback. I think that just helps these guys understand what what the objective is and and how leverage works with with some of these routes that they run. And uh, Parham is one of my favorite dart throws in the late rounds. Um, Now that Hunter Henry is gone, maybe there's an opportunity for him to step up that Chargers depth chart. And once again, I've fallen in love with the Chargers. I I lose money every year betting some kind of Chargers future, and I'm sure I'm going to do it again (laughs) this year, at least make the investment. Hopefully it will be a happy ending and not a sad ending. You make the great point that if you draft Kelsey in best ball or, or Patrick Mahomes or Kyler Murray, what you're buying is extra roster real estate because you don't need to go deep at those positions, those quote-unquote onesies. You're drafting a vanity quarterback or tight end. You should draft two of them, period, and, and just get the extra real estate, get the extra bodies at those other positions, and you're just doing it right. If, if, when I see somebody take a Kelsey, have a Kelsey start and have three tight ends, I'm like, what are you doing? You only need two. You only need two. Same thing with the, with the vanity quarterback. So that's a great strategy there. But, you know, and you, you make – it's – there's a lot of fine points of how seasonal is different than best ball. I love best ball to get ready for the season. I love best ball to understand the dynamic of the draft pool. But if we're not minding the gap, the way these leagues play differently and what the, what the ask is and what type of profile wins a best ball league versus a seasonal. And I mean, you had the extreme example that one year where you dominated your 150 best ball leagues, but then you saw that there was something you were missing in your seasonal. I mean, that's something we need. That's a gap we need to mind. Again, best ball is the best way to get ready for your seasonal season, but there's just so many 
subtle and not so subtle differences between the two draft environments as we hit into the summer. Any any comment on that? Or we can just move on. No, no, I, I, th- I think you're right. Uh, I, a lot of people are moving towards less start-sit leagues just because they're so time-consuming and, you know, have to set waivers and things like that. So a lot of people are going best ball, which is just like a mock draft. Mock drafts are so much fun where you could win money and then only playing DFS and, and Dynasty too. I, I love what fantasy is growing into in that there's just so many different options of you know, different fun formats that all have their own unique, unique strategy to them. One other thing I want to highlight, I think a lot of people intuitively know this is true, but maybe they just haven't heard it said. You talked about an anatomy of league winners that we want to draft running backs in years one to three of their careers. You know, that first contract year three is still the time for a common wide receiver breakout of their best year stretch is usually years five to six. Can you just talk a little bit about the the profile of why maybe we want the younger running backs, but we can wait a little bit or develop with the receivers and stick with them longer. Yeah. So just historically league winning running backs tend to come early in their, their careers, wide receivers. It tends to come four through, you know, year four through seven, something like that. And every once in a while, there's a breakout wide receiver who had good draft capital and everyone neglected, you know, maybe Corey Davis last year, Tyler Boyd in his year three, but this goes back to aging curves, which is some work I've done over the years. So historically, running backs in their rookie season score about 88% of their career baseline average. And then that jumps to 115%. So that's a great time to buy uh, a running back people are writing off as dead, like David Montgomery last year. Uh, and then wide receiver, they're, they're still at like 95% year two, but then year three, they're at 118%. And then sophomore tight ends, that's the biggest jump for any position. They jump from uh, 82% to 97%, and then year three, 130%. So that's a great sweet spot where people might be, you know, ADP might be overlooking them, but that's typically when you want to target. And I also just remembered a point I wanted to make about the tight ends. I love that you talked about route share and you talked about you know, how often is the tight end in the slot. We do not want our tight ends taken out the trash. We don't want them with a the hand on the ground. We don't want them blocking. We don't want them chipping. And that's why Kelsey will, all, I'm sorry, um, Kittle will always be a better real life player than fantasy player. You get nothing for those beautiful pancake blocks. You get nothing for him being extension of the running game. You know, I, I still think that the Buccaneers got Rob Gronkowski last year as much for fortifying the offensive line as it was for him being involved in the pass game. Gronk was a pretty good player down the stretch and look really good in the Super Bowl. But I, I think they really got him as an extension of Tom Brady needs to be comfortable, not Tom Brady needs somebody open eight to 10 down yards downfield. So when we have exposure to stats that we didn't have, you know, the old days, targets were a new stat, right? I remember when, when we're talking to John Hansen and I'd say, oh yeah, I watched a lot of the Colts game. They were targeting Marvin Harrison like every other play. That used to be what we, that, that used to be fine for analysis. Now it's like, we know so many specific things. And when it comes to tight end analysis, I, I really think talk, focusing on what the tight end's role is, and it's not even so much snap share. You can be on the field all the time, but if you're blocking a majority of the time, you know, Johnny Smith is going to be a much better player for the Patriots than he is going to be, I think, for anybody's fantasy team. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think that's absolutely – that's why I, I like that distinction, the oligarch tight end. You know, you're, Is Kittle an oligarch? Probably not. He, he, he pass blocks too much, but he's – you know, the second coming of Rob Gronkowski. So he's going to be a fantasy superstar, but he's just added such an inherent disadvantage in comparison to a Darren Waller or Travis Kelsey. We've been talking with Scott Barrett of Fantasy Points. Scott, tell our listeners how they can keep up with you and what you're working on. 
Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Scott Barrett DFB. You can check out my work at fantasypoints.com. If you want to get 10% off your subscription, you can use promo code 21 Barrett 10. That's B A R R E T T. Uh, stuff I'm working on now, I have you know my three biggest articles of the season after Upside Wins Championship. That whole series is done. The Bell Cow Report looking at who are the, the top 30 running backs I'm drafting and what order. And I'm going to be a lot different than most people. And then I have my guys, which is just, hey, here's the players I'm circling. Every time I go into a draft, here's who you can't leave a draft without. Uh, and my, my, my rankings, which are distinct from the site's rankings, just a little bit. And then 96 stats, which will be free. It's an article I do every year. 96 interesting stats, three from each team. And, uh, and that's going to be maybe one or two more articles beyond that, but that's, that's going to be the crux of it. Well, lots of good stuff in tune with the, the mind, the musings, and the intelligence of Scott Barrett. We're really lucky to have him today on our podcast. And if podcasts are your thing, we got a whole suite of podcasts over at Yahoo Sports. Charles Robinson is back in the NFL podcast game. His new pod is called You Pod to Win the Game. Did a great episode this week with Eric Edholm, another Yahoo colleague. So check out Robinson on his new show. If you're into college sports, the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our old friend Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated. Uh, they may be in Tokyo right now, but they'll be covering everything that's going on in college football. As we know, that college football season sneaks up beyond you soon. They'll be playing in August, so you want to get up to speed with those guys. And then the NBA, man. The NBA is just a 12-month, 365-day-year uh, calendar of events, of drama, of fun. Uh, posted up with Chris Haynes is our NBA conversation. You want to check that out. As they get ready for the draft and free agency, should be a fun summer on the hardwood. I'm Scott Pianowski, Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. We mentioned earlier Scott Barrett is Scott Barrett DFB. You can also follow the Yahoo Fantasy account, Yahoo Fantasy on Twitter. Mr. Matt Harmon will be back on Thursday. More pop with another outstanding guest. Until then, go draft some Adam Thielen. Go read some Scott Barrett. We are out. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.